Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. And I'm Paula, a licensed clinical mental health counselor and a counseling professor. So Jill, this is our first content episode. Last week, everybody learned about us and heard probably more about us than they ever (laughs) wanted to know. (laughs) And today we're kind of getting in and digging a little deeper. So what are we talking about today? I'm excited. Well, I mean, it feels like the most obvious first episode ever. We're going to be talking about mental health and the church because our podcast is about (laughs) mental health and the church and the church. But we want to talk a little bit about the ways in which mental health care is uh, is sometimes twisted and not always accepted. We want to talk about the ways in which religious professionals are trained in the art of counseling. And maybe on the flip side of that, the way counseling professionals interact with things of the sake intersect with mm, sacred nice things. So, yeah, we... We just thought this first episode would be a good time to just speak generally about maybe some of the relationships between the church overall. And we know there's many different types of churches and many different types of pastors and many different relationships with the counseling community and the world of mental health. But we just thought it would be good to talk a little bit about an overview of that and then a little bit about where the church can get it wrong. And we know there's lots of churches to get it right, but we also just wanted to start out with some places where the church can get it wrong on the topic of mental health. Future episodes are going to get a little bit more into maybe some specific issues and some ways that the church maybe doesn't handle specific topics all that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we thought we'd talk, start out talking just a little more generally about the church's relationship with mental health overall. Yeah. And And maybe this is something that'll come up in every single episode, but I think it's important for us to say too, we offer just one set of perspectives Mm -hmm. on all of this, on on counseling, on spirituality and things that are held sacred by folks. Um, I have one way of being a pastor of a church. You have one way of being a mental health practitioner mental health care practitioner. I never know what the right thing is. Just call me a counselor. A counselor. She's amazing, (laughs) y'all. She has many titles. But like, you may not agree with us. And that's okay. That is completely okay. And we would actually really love to hear from you if you don't agree with us or if you do agree with us. And, you know, maybe you have a different way of looking at something or have had a different way of interacting with a particular scripture that we talk about or a particular counseling practice or, or mental health arena. And we just don't want you all to come into this podcast journey with us thinking that we are saying that it's our way or the highway. Exactly. Uh-huh. I'm so glad you said that because that is, you know, the core of being a counselor is, is recognizing that I'm not the expert in anyone else's life. And that. that that translates here as well, that we are here to share some of our experiences. And there's a lot of things we're really passionate about and that we think we're right about. Sure. <laughs> and, and we also are really respectful of other ways of thinking about things and other ways of approaching things. So definitely. So um, as you'll hear at the end of our episode, there's lots of ways to interact with us. If you do re- disagree with us, let us know. Um, please be nice about it, but uh, <laughs> let us know and tell us your thoughts, and um, and we look forward to interacting with you. But yes. but yeah, let's talk about so, mental health in the church. Yeah, let's get started. So Jill, as our resident pastor here on the Sacred Intersections podcast, even though we know, as we just said, there's lots of different answers to this question, but what kind of training did you receive as part of your training to be a minister and maybe the ordination process? What kind of training were you? did you have about mental health issues or just helping people with things like depression and anxiety? So I can say that um, for many churches in the denomination where I serve, the Presbyterian Church USA, Uh, The expectation is that the uh, pastors that are leading the churches have had a theological education. And a theological education looks different. Yeah, and that's not always the case for everybody. To a lot of people. Exactly. There are, I know that there are Baptist churches wherein um, the only qualification that you need is your belief that God has called you. 
um, which is still very important in the denomination where I serve. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think God called me to this vocation. <laughs> and there's lots of Baptist churches that also have doctoral level ministers and yes, exactly. that kind of thing as well. But yeah. And, and there's a spectrum of different kinds of theological education. I went to a seminary and um, I did a three-year um, graduate program that resulted in a Master of Divinity. And um, Ooh, you're a master. Uh, so in that graduate education, I took classes in pastoral care. Those were classes that were required. And I had to demonstrate that knowledge in things like my ordination exams, the same way doctors take boards or lawyers have to pass the bar um, in the Presbyterian Church USA. Many pastors are required to take many ordination exams um, in which we demonstrate what uh, what kind of things that we learned. Uh, another thing that is required is this class that we call clinical pastoral education, which has a lot to do with practicing theology and sacred things in clinical spaces like nursing homes, like hospitals, like prisons or places that aren't necessarily a, a parish church. And yeah. uh, I really appreciate that that was a part of my education, that, that I was expected to go into a, an institution that was not the church and learn how to practice and how to be in that space, being and a religious authority and, and going through those things. Did you have to, when you say you had to demonstrate these things, did you, cause I'm just thinking back to my training, which was a lot of role playing and a lot of like really showing that you had these clinical skills. Did you have to do stuff like that? Or was it more tests and papers and Sure. Like that. I'm yeah, just that, curious. That's a good question. So depending on the class, and I'm sure it depends on, on the grad school, um, my seminary, in um, my classes, there was a, a fair amount of, of role playing. We were often encouraged to go out and have conversations with people and write up uh, they called verbatims. Do y'all do that in counseling? Have verbatim? Um, sometimes we do. There are some students groaning right now as they think about <laughs> that. That's not Seminary the term we use. Too, just yeah. more, more transcribing and more transcripts kind of thing. But um, but yeah. yes, that is a an exercise that often happens in counseling training. Yeah. So we had to do that. Um, I chose to take a lot of electives in my grad school that delved a little deeper into pastoral counseling. So I learned a lot about family systems. I learned about a lot about counseling. And so my education was one part of it. And then there are some other sort of widely accepted uh, practices, I would say, that might not be said explicitly to you, but are kind of inferred, especially as you join an institution, like um, a grouping of churches in the Presbyterian church is called a presbytery. Um, nerd alert. Uh, <laughs> so in the presbytery where I serve, there's an expectation or an understanding, not necessarily a rule, that that there's a limit to the knowledge that we have in certain areas. I want to come back to that word limit. Let's remember that. Yeah. Well, you can't be all things to all people. We'll come. Um, that I'm sure will be repeated many, many times over throughout our podcast journey. But so my general rule as as a pastor is when someone comes to me to discuss. Uh, a matter that could be considered mental health. If they're struggling with something spiritually and I feel inclined to offer pastoral counseling, sort of a three session rule, if there is that sort of three times. And then uh, the phrase that I use is refer, refer, refer. Um, <laughs> and this counselor loves, loves to hear that. And not because you're not an amazing pastoral counselor, not because you can't handle these things, but just hearing that awareness of the different resources that are available to you in the community and knowing, you know, what you want to try to tackle and what might be more helpful for someone else to help you tackle. Yeah. So my favorite analogy that was given to me in grad school um, is, is using the parable of the Good Samaritan as a really good way for pastors to interact with their congregations. So the parable of the Good Samaritan, that's a parable that Jesus tells in the Gospels, and it's in response to the question, who is my neighbor? 
which is a great question. It is a great question. And and it's entirely possible that there's some eye rolling going on for folks that are listening <laughs> to this, because if you're listening to this, you probably maybe have a good idea of what that parable is. But so road to Jericho, dangerous road. There's a guy who's beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And people walk past guy on the side of the road. One of them's a Levite. One of them, you know, different people walk by and you would expect to stop and help this man. Exactly. Walk by, turn their head, pretend they don't see him. Yes. And then a Samaritan, which for the community hearing this parable is air quotes, the bad guy comes by and sees that there's a man lying bloody and left for dead on the side of the road. And it's the Samaritan air quote, bad guy who ends up helping him. The guy who would have every reason to be the one that walks away and turns away, but exactly. But here's the kicker. This is this is the mental health thing that I think pastors we need to do better at. The Samaritan then mobilizes all the resources in his community. Mm. He borrows a horse. He puts the the guy that was beaten and left on the side of the road on the horse. So there's one resource from his community that he's using. And then he goes to an inn and he asks the innkeeper to take care of the guy who was beaten and left for dead. And then he leaves. So it's not the Samaritan's responsibility to be the doctor that heals him of his wounds or to be the cook that cooks the food and feeds him or to be the innkeeper owner that provides the bed for him. He mobilizes the resources in com- in his community and then he comes back later to check on it. And he relinquishes control of all those things. Yes. He doesn't try to be the one in charge of everything, handling everything. Yeah. Right. So it's a good model for us as religious leaders, for pastors, that when someone is coming and seeking counsel and going through something, and we may start to think that our ability to provide care is beyond our control, if we've done our work and know about the resources in our community, we can refer to those resources. But then just like the Good Samaritan, we come back and check on it. Mm. We check in with our parishioners and say, hey, Paula, I, I mentioned that really great counselor. Have you had a chance yeah. to meet with them? You don't yet, just or... say goodbye, good luck. Go take care of that. Right. There's still yeah that shepherding responsibility. Yeah. And I'm already hearing, you know, I, I knew this about you, obviously, because I know you, but I've also had many different experiences with pastors, both, um, both personally, but also from the counseling end or from what clients have shared is that that is certainly not always the approach that pastors take, that often there are that I can be all things, I can handle this, I don't trust anyone else to help you. Um, and we, we can talk a little bit more about that maybe a little bit later, but just this idea of that I there is there are additional resources out there. And there are some pastors that are just intuitively really good counselors and yes. and kind of can, can be in this space and really help in that healing. And there are some pastors out there that are really bad counselors. <laughs> right. I'm sure that that is the case. And sometimes they know it and oftentimes they don't know right. it. And, yeah. and that can set up the potential to do a lot of harm in that role. Yeah. And, and that maybe is what we're going to get into a little bit more, but, but just hearing you talk about knowing your limitations to the point of instituting some, a, a kind of, policy on this mm-hmm. that or guideline for you to follow right. that helps you continually check in with yourself with what you're doing and not get caught up in just wanting to continue to stay in charge of this parishioner. So well and yeah. and and I think in in both of us as individuals and seekers of good mental health practices and mental health care needs, I think the other thing is recognizing what we need. So there may be a pastor out there who is a really good counselor and who wants to continue providing that. And a good uh, self-awareness practice is to think, okay, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I feel like we have a good rapport. I think I'm, I'm offering you good counsel and you keep telling me that you need good counsel. Well, that's great. But perhaps maybe at some point what you need is to be able to sit in a pew on a Sunday morning and hear a good sermon. Mm-hmm. And when that time comes, Are you going to feel comfortable sitting in that pew with your pastor who knows very intimate details about your mental health and your mental health practices 
you know, can you switch from roles back and forth like that? So there's yeah. an awareness there of, of, yeah, I do really want to provide you with some good mental health care, but I also I want to be your pastor and let somebody else be your counselor and, and let somebody else have that role, which doesn't mean that I don't care about you and your mental health care, but it, it means that I want someone else to do that so yeah. I can be your pastor. Yeah. It means you're caring enough to provide all the different resources and, and yeah, I mean, absolutely. Again, maybe jumping ahead to to when we're going to talk a little bit more about the ways we have seen churches and pastors do more harm in this arena. But certainly when I talk about some of my personal experiences, I've sat in churches and heard the pastor use examples from their counseling sessions, from their pastoral counseling sessions in a sermon. Ooh, and you, yeah. That's not okay. That's not okay. Because who is not sitting there looking around and wondering who it is? Even right. if it's, and it could be someone that doesn't even go to that church, or it could be someone from a church, five churches back where they worked. It's just a really dangerous blurring of lines that then can enter the relationship to where if someone does go to that pastor for counseling, maybe in the back of their mind, constantly worrying, am I going to show up in the sermon this week? Um, Talk to any family of a pastor or preacher, PKs, pastor kid Mm -hmm. or preacher kid, (laughs) talk to any one of them about like their constant worry of (laughs) what illustration is going to show up in the sermon and worship. Like knowing that I'm sure there are plenty of PKs in therapy for just that reason. Yeah, when the, when there's not a lot of confidentiality to those experiences. And and that's some of the distinction that, you know, sometimes people don't always understand the difference between pastoral counseling and licensed counselors and licensed Christian counselors, you know, lots of different labels out there. There's so many um, acronyms. Yeah. And we're in North Carolina. So we're, I'm, I operate under the North Carolina licensing laws. Um, but, you know, as we were saying earlier, you know, what you say to me should not ever show up anywhere, <laughs> anywhere, right. Right. unless you're dangerous to yourself or someone else. And exactly. so, or I can lose my license and lose my job. Yeah. But pastors, you know, di- again, different denominations might have different disciplinary things that could happen. But generally speaking, it's not the same type of um, standards that are held in the same way on this particular issue. Sure. Yeah. And we could go down a rabbit hole of like the way counselors have to have liability insurance Mm -hmm. and all sorts of things like that. And that pastors aren't always held to that same standard, which is maybe another entire podcast about talking (laughs) about that. I don't know. Um, So as we, yeah, maybe as we get, leave kind of this more, what kind of training pastors have, we have, we're trying to have a little different segments in our podcast with our sacred intersections topic and maybe using some different driving metaphors. And so we're going to get into some, maybe some warning lights or stop signs, caution flags, things to watch out for. And so I would go ahead and throw out there that if your pastor is resistant to referring you to a counselor or a psychiatrist or to another mental health provider, that's a, that's a caution flag. I would want to learn more about why that is. Yeah. So, right. So I would just throw that out there. Yes. For our listeners now. Yes. But before we get into more of the specific caution lights, we got to figure out what we're going to call this section. Right? We? <laughs> yeah, we do. Well, I would also love to hear sort of on the flip side, how are you as a counselor trained in terms of dealing with things that are sacred? Um, what what sort of interactions are there on, yeah. on that way? Does that, so, uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead. But. No, that's great. That just, that you may have to reel me in because I could talk a long time on that and that could be a whole podcast unto itself, not just episode, but a whole podcast. But, you know, generally speaking, what I hope happens, I, at at the university where I teach um, counselors in training, one of the classes I teach is diversity issues in the helping professions. And so what we hope for kind of best case scenario in our training is that counselors are really respectful of whether or not their clients coming from a spiritual or religious worldview, that yeah. they ask that, that they assess for that, and that if it's appropriate, they um, utilize that in the counseling process, either as a strength or support, or maybe as a recognition. I think I talked a little bit about this maybe last week too, that it may, that that history of involvement in religion or spirituality may be part of the presenting issue for why they're coming to counseling. Yeah, But 
the hope is that it is at least being checked on and that no matter where the counselor is coming from, because, you know, you kind of have to have a religious affiliation to be in your job. <laughs> kind of have to. <laughs> kind of kind of the important. job description. <laughs> you're, um, you're, of course, counselors are all over the map sure. as far as. And, and so the idea is that we're allowed to be all over the map, you know, certainly people of faith are counselors. I'm example A of that. And, but we're not allowed to impose that, you know, right. this is not a place where people are not coming to us to have, to learn about our agenda. They're hopefully coming and at least figuring out what their own agenda is. So we're allowed to come in with whatever perspective we have, but we have to provide space for whatever perspective our clients are coming from. And so the hope is that spirituality is considered as part or lack thereof spirituality is considered as part of someone's cultural identity, you know, yeah. and how do they have that as part of their cultural identity or not. And, you know, but I don't want to sit here and pretend that that always happens. And I don't want to sit there and pretend that all counselors do it well. And certainly, you know, there's a history of animosity between psychology and psychiatry and Christianity and a lot of other religions. Sure. And, and that from both perspectives, for legitimate reasons. Well, right. I mean, I can't imagine being a counselor and sitting like I, as a religious authority, when I hear bad theology, I feel like I have a little bit of skin in the game to be able to say, I'm not sure if that's helpful theology that you are expressing. And I have to use caution with that, but you maybe can't do that when you hear somebody saying something that you believe to be harmful theology. You certainly, the, the hope is that we kind of reflect that what their experiences back to them and help them interact with that and come, you know, to work whatever perspective they want to with that. If they want to talk more about that and why it might be harmful, that's on them. But it's certainly not my place to impose my thoughts about that. Sure. I can perhaps suggest there may be other considerations out there, but even with that, I have to be really careful not to, um, not to do, because there's so much power, just like there's so much power from the pastor pulpit, but also just being in that role, sitting in a room with you, that same kind of power lies with um, therapists. So I, we have to be just very careful about how we're imposing anything sure. to not impact that journey. So, you know, counselors are not always respectful of someone's religion and right. how that might impact them. Um, but the hope is that there is that intersection. Yes. And that it happens. A sacred one. <laughs> Thinking, too, about just how churches views on mental health and help-seeking behaviors. And by help-seeking behaviors, I mean going to counseling or talking to your doctor about medication yeah. or going to a, a specialist like a psychiatrist. So, you know, where is there anyone similar to a counselor in the Bible or and or where do things like this show up in the Bible? What kind of comes to mind for you? That's a great thought. I mean, I think that as we will refer back many, many times. There's lots of people who can get scripture to say what they wanted to say. Sure. Um, but I think that there are characters, people in both the Hebrew Bible or what Christians call the Old Testament and the New Testament that get in that counseling role. Um, I think of Joseph, the patriarch of mm -hmm. Genesis, one of the patriarchs of Genesis, who is a counsel to Pharaoh, the good Pharaoh, not the bad one that appears in <laughs> Exodus, but he interprets dreams. Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, I think that the ways in which Joseph maybe is helping Pharaoh reframe and plan and, and, and that's not a perfect metaphor because Joseph has a clear agenda of trying to get certain things to happen. But um, I think of some of the kings in the Hebrew Bible who had a close counsel. I think of like Samuel who appointed mm -hmm. kings and then would provide them counsel. I think of I think of some prophets, but maybe not all prophets. <laughs> you know, we think about prophetic speech and there are some of the prophets who we hear about standing and yelling and 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 sometimes we as humans need a prophet to yell at us and tell us what we need to do. I have never I, yelled in a counseling session. Thank you. Yet. Yeah. Knock on wood. <laughs> knock, on, knock on something. But yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily say all of the prophets are counselors, but I think being in that role is helpful. I think that Jesus served as a counselor in a counseling role in a number of situations. I I 
think they're aspects of Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well that's reflected on in the Gospel of John, wherein Jesus and the woman are talking and, and Jesus is inviting the woman to sort of answer questions herself and think about mm -hmm. herself. And he sees her. Like yeah. that's, that's in all of those things, that's kind of the through line that I hope is reflected in, in the counseling profession is that these people are seen for who they are and fully just accepted for who they are. Yes. And that, from what we know, that little part of scripture and my understanding is that's not something that had happened with that woman very often that, that people saw her. Right. So I, you know, I think everyone, I, what do you what do you all think? Is there is there a piece of scripture or a, a character or a person that's reflected in scripture that that you think of that is in a counseling role or that is that that provides that kind of counsel that that we're talking about? Where does that come up and how does that interact with you? Yeah, and so while there might not be a counselor per se in the Bible in the exact role that I'm doing at my job, it still very much drives my calling and my purpose. You know, one of our friends, Michelle, I was hearing her speak the other day um, and she's involved in the ministry and she described it in such a beautiful way. She said, Jesus is the why of what I do, but not the what. Oh, I love that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And that really resonated of, I my hope is that everything I do is because of my calling from Jesus and because of my desire to be in service to him and to um, to be sharing the gifts that he's given me and to, you know, just serve others in that capacity. And yeah. so that's why I became a counselor is because I believe that I've been called to, to serve people in this way with the gifts that I believe I've been given with compassion and and empathy and relational qualities. Um, but that's not, but I don't do it by saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. You know, that's, that's what drives it, but that's not yes. the content. Right. Unless right. the client brings it up and wants to talk about it, sure. which of course time it's fine. It's fine too. But that really resonated with me in my role that it's underpins everything I do, but I don't have to scream that from the rooftops in sure. order to be in a ministry. Being a follower of Jesus compels you to your vocational calling, but Jesus is not the pill you prescribe or the the cognitive therapy that you practice necessarily. Mm -hmm. Is that that fair? Yeah. Rephrasing of yeah. Of and my clients may never know that that's the why of sure. what I'm doing. I'm just doing it because that's what Jesus has commanded me to do. Right. To serve people. Yes. And that I can do that ministry without having to hit someone over the head with the what. Thank you. Of it. Thank you. I don't know anybody that likes being hit over the head. I don't know if you do. Um, it doesn't seem like a healthy thing. If Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but so, even though there's not this counselor, even though there isn't a character in the Bible that has like the cartoon image of a counselor, mm -hmm. you know, lying on a couch or something being in yeah, therapy. There's no Lucy from Peanuts yes, sitting I love behind it. her little thing. I love yeah. it. I love it. But mental health comes up in scripture. Yeah. Like there's you know, in my readings of it, you know, you see depression throughout scripture, you see anxiety, yeah. you see, and you see God seeing that and wanting to help us with that and give us tools and to um, provide healing from that. You see grief, you see sadness. Yes. So, so I certainly, um, that's certainly been part of my drive and calling. Um, so just, yeah, for you, our pastor perspective, where do you, when you think of where you see things like depression and anxiety and other mental health kind of issues show up, what comes to mind for you scripturally? Sure. Well, I think there's lots of ways where we do see it in these, in these stories where there are people and characters and examples of these, of mental health issues like depression and anxiety. And I also think there are pretty big portions of scripture that are not a story. Uh, some people might call that wisdom literature, nerd alert. Uh, <laughs> that's, you know, any place that might not be considered uh, a, a story with characters. So your Psalms, your Proverbs, your Ecclesiastes, um, you know, there, there yeah. are. Ecclesiastes has gotten me through 2020. And that sounds so uh, depressing because it's already been such a, dark time, but I just have found myself drawn to those 
words. And yeah. I've really appreciated the lack of a resolution in it. I really yep. appreciated the lack of a head pat. There's, I really appreciated the yeah. lack of a, but it'll all be okay. Um, it's really just helped me to sit in the uncertainty that we've, so, so, so that's not a, a scripture that I think Christians might normally think of when they think of healing. Right. <laughs> right. And there are scriptures that are helpful in my, and my, maybe mine alone opinion. There are plenty of scriptures that are helpful and that, that give a unique perspective and sidebar or, or flag or whatever we want to say, like anytime scripture is giving you what you feel like you need, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. label that the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and if someone tells you that what you're getting from scripture and you feel like it's what you need, and if somebody tells you that that's wrong, um, there's our, there's our yellow light, mm-hmm. there's our caution yeah. flag. Like, just ask, ask a question. You remember my dad that was always saying, ask questions. That's a good place to ask a question. Right. About right. Yeah. Why? But just like churches and pastors and counselors can't be all things to all people. Every verse in scripture cannot be everything to every person all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. So there are portions of scripture that I find supremely unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those scriptures do have something to do with mental health. Hmm. And I think sometimes scriptures, particularly some of the scriptures in the wisdom literature, there are Psalms or Proverbs that might refer to to worry or anxiety or sadness. And sometimes it's referred to in a way that um, sadness is wrong or sadness is is to be be overcome and eliminated or or we hear, you know, from Jesus's mouth in the gospel about anxiety and don't worry about things. And, you know, I am someone who suffers with anxiety, suffers. I live with anxiety. I experience anxiety. And mm-hmm. and and I'm a firm believer that that anxiety is, is a feeling and an emotion that I have and also some chemicals in my brain mm-hmm. doing things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes hearing Somebody say to me, well, Jesus says, don't worry and think Mm -hmm. about the birds of the air. But when I'm curled up in a ball on my bed. Not so helpful. It's not so helpful. And and thinking about birds doesn't do it for me. (laughs) Or Um, just having a do not fear. Right. Doesn't make you not fear. Exactly. Yeah. So so the ways in which we interpret our scriptures and the ways in which some scriptures are more comforting to others. I think we'll come back to this over and over again as we talk about scriptures and the ways, ways they're interpreted. Well, and the way that they apply in some situations and not because, you know, anxiety is on a whole continuum Yes, and there are just everyday worries where we are overthinking things and where just kind of a shake us, don't fear. And that can shake us out of it. And it can be helpful. Sure. You know, where there can be a redirection of, of our thoughts and scriptures can really apply in that situation. And then there's situations like the, the more intensity that you describe, where if you take that scripture and apply, it could be considered um, a, a concept that I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about later called spiritual bypass, where it's just kind of like, oh, just head pat, everything's going to be okay. Don't address things on an emotional level or a cognitive level or a working level. Just stay on the spiritual level that just wipes out the reality of what you're dealing with. Yeah, And that's not really helpful. So I think, and I, I do feel like we should be clear because I could maybe feel some listeners eyebrows raise when we talk about scripture being not helpful, that we're not sure. being dismissive of scripture yes. in general, just recognizing that Scripture says there's a time and place for everything. Yeah, and, uh, there's like, your Ecclesiastes. <laughs> you love your Ecclesiastes. Just, yeah, like you said, there's times that that's not going to be helpful. And so to not to try to force things that can feel trite when they're not. Because Jesus can go deeper. Exactly. Jesus can be with us on the bed in a ball. Jesus can handle us exactly. at those darker places. And he's not going to just say, get over it. Yes. I, I am um, such a firm believer in the hugeness of God mm-hmm. and that I choose to worship a God that can handle it when I need to scream. You know, isn't there a therapy that's like primal <laughs> scream primal something? <laughs> yes. Like 2020 has been my year of sitting in my car and doing some scream therapy. Mm-hmm. And like, it's sometimes really cleansing and sometimes I need to be cautious because... 
as parishioners find out what kind of car I drive, they might not want to hear the things that I'm screaming from my car. And yet God can handle that. God can handle when we're depressed and God can handle when we're anxious. And that there are also times in this world of mental health when those are things that we cannot control because there are chemicals in our brain. Mm -hmm. Tell me the thing that you heard something about how we talk about mental health, but there's a different uh, way of, of referring that was to also it. Also, our friend Michelle recently what? said that she doesn't use the term mental health. She uses the term brain health because we don't have a mental, we have a brain. I love that. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Yeah. Um, so Michelle's just showing up all over the place. That's um, And that's sometimes really helpful because, you know, we find it in, in uh, Matthew 6, um, which also comes up in Luke 12. Um, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. So you, I think we talked about this in our our kind of introductory episode, but um, Myers-Briggs, I'm a J on the Myers-Briggs, a strong J. I really like to plan. So telling me not to worry about tomorrow, like, what do you mean don't worry about tomorrow? I've got a lot of stuff that needs to get done tomorrow. And I want to plan accordingly for that. And it helps you feel more in control to be able to plan and know what's going to happen. Exactly. But there are also times where I can see a world where a pastor is standing in a pulpit and talking about the ways in which we don't have to worry. And when we look at that scripture in its context about not worrying because God will provide us with what we need, Mm -hmm. what I want to take away from that is that God's going to provide me what I need, not that I shouldn't be worrying. Because there might be situations where the chemicals in someone's brain are preventing them from stopping their worrying. Mm -hmm. They can't slow their heartbeat down. They can't stop their palms Mm -hmm. from sweating. And so rather than being told from the pulpit, don't worry, worrying makes you a sinner and sinning makes baby Jesus cry, you hear, I want to turn that on its head and say, here, God's going to provide you with what you need. God's going to provide you with what you need to help your body Stop your yeah. palms from sweating and, and calm God will your... be there with you with the sweaty palms. Right. And, you know, my favorite, I, I, I can't remember where I've seen this recently, but just with Lazarus and, and I guess we're assuming our listeners know a lot of this scriptural history, but quick Lazarus story was Jesus's dear friend, Lazarus and his two sisters. Yep. And who, um, his, his, his friend Lazarus died while Jesus was away and Jesus took a lot of time to get back and did not get there in time to heal him as his sisters believed Jesus would do. And so Jesus got there and Lazarus has been buried. And that's where the famous Jesus wept, you know, everyone's there favorite memory verse. Yeah. It's <laughs> only two from. words. Um, and so, and then Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so my favorite, I, I just recently read someone describing how Jesus knew what he was about to do. Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet he wept. He was able to feel the pain of that moment and be in the pain of that moment and didn't rush through the pain of that moment. He still hurt for the people around him who were, who were hurting and could be there in that moment without just, I'll make everything. Okay. Don't worry. Here it goes. Come on out, Lazarus. It was, he was able to be in that moment. And I think that's such a model for us, for each other to not, apply trite scripture to these big, that end of the continuum with the big anxieties and the big depression. Sure. And that's such a powerful witness to the incarnation of, you know, God incarnate is Jesus. And, and something, one of the things that is so important to me as a follower of Jesus is that he has been there. Jesus knows what it's like to lose somebody you love. Jesus, Jesus cries. Mm -hmm. Jesus is, Jesus understands what it means to let somebody down because Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha in that, in that circumstance were, were hoping that Jesus would get there. And, And they say, Jesus, if you had come, my brother would not have died. And so Jesus feels that. And so when I am in anguish because I feel like I've let someone down, Jesus knows that. Jesus has felt that. And that's the power of the incarnation that that is real. And so that's where, just to, to pivot a little bit, that's where I really struggle when the church as an institution puts a roadblock up to 
good, proper mental health care. Mm-hmm. Look at us with the road metaphors. Look at us. That's a very good use of our road yeah. metaphors. And that's, you know, that's where I would would see us pivoting into where we're, we hope this podcast will be able to to talk about and bring to light this roadblock that we think should not be there, where theology becomes harmful, yes. where it gets in the way of someone having access to things that can heal them. And so, yes, for another caution light, I would just say, if you are going to a church where the pastor is putting a roadblock up into you seeking help in any way, that's, I think that's the same roadblock we said earlier, but pay attention to that. Yeah. Because why is that roadblock? Right. Showing up there. Right. And, and there's a stigma around mental health care and that's, that goes beyond the church. Sure. The, the, the stigma is completely yeah. cultural. I mean, look at our healthcare system. Um, you've said we're in North Carolina, we're in the United States of America. It just built into our healthcare system, yeah. our countless uh, provisions for physical care. And the roadblocks to mental health care. To, to mental health yeah. care. And the difficulty of access. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're right that often that stigma or that resistance is, it's certainly not exclusive to the church. And the church is reflecting a larger cultural right. stigma or resistance to, to seeking help with this, um, a lack of willingness to name this. And yet, that's why I think it's so important for pastors and for church systems to recognize the power that comes when someone who's speaking for God, speaking for the sacred, says it's okay to go see a counselor. It's okay to ask your doctor about medication that can help with that brain chemistry part. Right. It's okay to take that medication. God gave us this medication yes. rather than demonizing the medication and shaming someone for that. So, so yeah, so let's go there. So where are yeah. some of those places where we really see the church possibly doing harm around the areas of mental health. So we talked about refusing to refer out to counseling. Um, And I I know we've talked about that quite a bit, but I have heard a friend say that her pastor said to her, you may only talk to me about your marriage. You may only, you may not talk to anyone else because it's just going to be confusing for you. And it's going to get you all mixed up. And if y'all were here to see Jill's face right now, that's not okay. (laughs) But that, that Uh -uh. is, that's another one of those caution lights when, when someone is trying to exert control over your mental health and your relationships and how you view yourself in these relationships, that's a big old red flag, caution light, roadblock, whatever you want to talk about. But that happens. And that's certainly not all pastors, but this was a pastor I knew well, who had said this to this person that you do not talk to anyone else about your marriage because it's just going to confuse you. That's too much pressure. (laughs) Like, that's more than I can handle. Can Um, you imagine wanting that kind of responsibility for someone else's marriage? No, Um, that's, that's, that is troublesome. That's definitely troublesome. I also think um, in terms, you know, if we go to a, a, a real strong extreme, I think about that there are some faith traditions that will say you may not take medicine. Mm-hmm. You may not seek any kind of intervention. You just got to leave it all up to God. And when I hear that extreme, I think of the story that's, um, you know, you name your iteration of it, but um, guy, a hurricane's coming and a guy's in a mm. rowboat and a guy's standing, you know, everything's flooding and a guy in a rowboat comes and he goes, come on, come on, come on. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to pray to God. God's going to save me. Don't worry about it. And the waters get higher. And then the helicopter comes and throws a ladder down and says, no, 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 come on, come on, just come climb up. And he says, no, 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 don't worry about me. God's going to save me. And then, you know, the radio broadcast comes and the radio says like, if you have not left yet, you better leave. And he goes, nope, nope, God's going to save me. And then he dies and he drowns, he drowns and then he dies. <laughs> and then he is, he goes to heaven and, and he meets, Why didn't you save me? Right. And he meets St. Peter and he's like, dude, Peter, WTF, buddy. Like, I thought that, <laughs> I thought everything was fine. And St. Peter looks at the guy and he goes, God sent you a radio broadcast and a, a helicopter and a rowboat. Like, God is sending us counselors. Right. God is sending us antidepressants right. and anti-anxiety medications and, yeah. and antipsychotics and yes. and um, people to talk to and to to share this burden. Um, I, 
yeah, that's a great illustration. And I totally agree. And I don't understand the resistance to these things, these gifts that I believe we have from God. Yeah. The, the desire to not look at them in that way. Right. Um, well, we will, uh, I think this actually is going to be like a no, another whole episode. So just a teeny little chunk, but the phrase, um, your faith has made you well, mm-hmm. which are words that come from Jesus's mouth. Um, and the ways in which it's believed that any version of you being unwell has to do with you not having yeah. enough faith. Yeah. That's really troublesome. Yeah. That's a really troublesome interpretation because anybody that's not well immediately goes to, if I had enough faith, as though you could control the chemistry of your brain, as though you could control, you know, X, Y, or Z, the cancer in your body or, or something like that. So um, so I think about that extreme and that resistance. Um, I think about the cultural stigma of you only go to therapy if you're crazy. Oh, your favorite um, word. I know. I feel super passionate. We haven't come up with the right metaphor. Um, friends, help us come up with a good uh, driving metaphor for my soapbox that I'm about to <laughs> climb up on. You know, words matter. And it may be that we live in a culture where not everybody thinks that words matter as much as they do, but words do matter. And the ways in which we throw around the word crazy is something that bothers me. Mm. You don't need to be crazy to go see a counselor. Crazy is not something that we throw around. Um, I think it particularly gets thrown around uh, when talking about women, which bothers me. But, But we can't. Uh, we can't call everything we don't understand crazy. Hmm. And it, that that's interesting that you have such a reaction to that word. And certainly in the mental health field, we're, we caution against that word because it, it can be so stigmatizing and it can be so dehumanizing to yes. use that word in that way. Yes. Um, Perfect term for that. Yeah. And, and I don't think it bothers me quite as much as it bothers you. <laughs> Sorry. So no, that's, I, so that's why I'm saying you may have to, call me out if I wind up using it in those ways sure. that, that show up there. Yeah. Um, because it's something I, I do try to be more aware of. Yeah. Um, well, and similar to what you were describing of not having enough faith, I think depression or anxiety um, or even grief, things like that can often be associated with a moral failing yes. that you are not good enough or you must have sin in your life. And that's why you're depressed. That's why you're anxious that, um, and that can, I think, can just be a really dangerous message to send. Yes. That, that there's shame on top of that sadness or that depression that you're already dealing with. And that's not helpful. Because of um, because of the stigma around good mental health care in, the, in our culture, and that sometimes comes up in churches, it doesn't get talked about. Mm-hmm. And... I think that there are times when we have this sort of 1950s understanding of what churches should be like, yeah. where you show up on Sunday morning and you have on your Sunday best um, yeah. and you, you dress a certain way and you hold things a certain way and, and act a certain way and certain things aren't meant for polite conversation or certain things yes. don't get talked about in church yeah. and it, 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 it dehumanizes it even more. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point because there's two different things that are possibly happening here that I think are both harmful. And one is just the lack of the discussion of it. And then there's the the really the demonizing or really speaking out against it. And they're both harmful in different ways. So I just would encourage any pastors that are listening to this to or or just people with your friends, just people in your church groups to be willing to talk about depression, to be, to, to normalize it, to try to use the power that you have that comes from being associated with the sacred to say that God can also help you in this way, that this is available to you and not to leave it out because not talking about it sends a message, not talking about it says something about this is not something that can be brought out into the light and things like depression breed in the dark things like anxiety breed in the dark. And yeah. so I just, I do feel passionately about the power that comes with the church to, to have those conversations. Yes. Even if it feels awkward, it's better to do it poorly than to not do it at all. Right. There's power in feeling validated. There's power mm-hmm. in feeling seen. You, you mentioned earlier about the ways in which counseling is about being seen. Therapy is about feeling seen. So 
maybe feeling seen when when mental health gets talked about in in a, in a Sunday school class, in a Christian ed opportunity, in in a sermon or in a worship mm-hmm. service where where we talk about that, yeah. um, and where because, people can look around and go, "Oh, I thought I was the only one." Right, and that's when an instantaneous healing can begin to be seen and go. Somebody talked about it from the pulpit. I must not be the only one. Yes, yes. So there's yeah. that piece of the silence of the church, which I do think is damaging. And then there's the the really just aversion to any help-seeking behavior. Yeah, I, I mentioned my dissertation in, in our first episode where I study religious abuse. And I will always remember one of my participants' stories. She's an adult now, but she told the story of being in a youth group. And, um, and she was dealing with depression and had very appropriately been prescribed an antidepressant that was helping her. And her youth minister found out that she was taking an antidepressant and kicked her out of the youth group. And I won't go into the mm. details to, to preserve her confidentiality, but just told her she's bringing the devil into youth group. No. Because she was depressed and taking antidepressants. That yeah. And this was heart. years ago, years yeah. and years and years ago. Yeah. And that had still stuck with her of, you know, that this idea that, that depression was the devil and that she was bringing that, into this sacred space and that what she was doing to try to get better was bad. So all the, and, and a teenager, a teenager. Oh, that makes me so mad. All of these levels of just mental illness being, being demonized in that Gosh. way as well. Friends, if you have ever been shamed for asking for help, I am sorry. You should not feel shame for seeking help for what you need. Yeah. And if you have been, I'm sorry. There are plenty of beloveds, favorites of mine who would be yelling at me because I'm apologizing for something over which I have no control. <laughs> but I want you to hear you are beloved of God and asking for help is not a sin. Yeah. And shame is so rarely a motivator. Like shame right? just doesn't Holy motivate cow. change in yes. behavior. And yet... People in power often seem to think this finger shaking, this finger wagging is going to to create some type of change. Yes. Yeah. As we go into the home stretch of this, maybe let's spend some time talking about, let's do a U-turn or a yeah. turnaround. Like, so we've talked a little bit about what we don't want to see. We don't want to see the shaming of help-seeking behaviors. We don't want to see the demonizing of depression or mental illness. We don't want to see silence from the pulpit or from any person in sacred power. So what do we want to see? Sure. What do we think is helpful? Yeah. So I want to give a a shout out to one of my all time favorite humans. Um, So my friend Julie has this awesome saying, which uh, we've, we've had a conversation and and maybe when this comes out, it ends up being the title of our episode. (laughs) Um, But Julie says, everybody needs a paid friend. (laughs) And I kind of love that. Um, almost as much as I love you, Julie. Everybody needs a paid friend, which to me is everybody needs to be in therapy. And and the way that Julie breaks that down and explains that is who, who on this planet could not benefit from an hour with someone's undivided attention where they are literally paid to listen to you, to help you process, to help you interpret, mm-hmm. to be an objective point of view. And we could go down rabbit holes about like what friendship means and the, <laughs> the boundaries of counselor friendship relationships and all those things. Yeah. But And how but, I tell my students they're not allowed to be friends with their clients, but that's not what you mean. Right. What I mean is everyone can benefit from therapy. Everyone can benefit <laughs> from therapy. I have told my parishioners in all of the churches that I have served, I'm in therapy. I see a counselor. I, um, the counselor I see now is very dear to me and is a really important part of my life and is able to help me tap into things in, in my life as a human. She helps me break down my grief. She helps me break down my marriage. She helps me break down how I feel about the things over which I can and cannot control and whether or not I should be apologizing for them or not. (laughs) It's, it's so important. And If one person hears this and thinks, I'm going to go look for a counselor, ding, 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 ring the bell, 
yes. cross the finish line, <laughs> arrive at your destination. Like that yes. is so that meaningful be because if we can start the process of destigmatizing good mental health care, mm -hmm. good mental health care. And, and I would just say to everyone, if you've not sought counseling before, it may take a while because there's there will be lots of counselors that might not be a good fit for you. Right. And so um, so please don't give up because of one bad experience. Yeah, certainly. Just like we're going to talk a lot about how there's churches that don't always get it right about things. There's lots of counselors and mental health professionals who right. don't always get it right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I disagree with that so much. We require that for our counseling students at the university where I teach counselors and training to go get their own stuff. I, you know, have sought counseling at many various points in my life and certainly think that, um, that yeah, it's something everyone could benefit from. Right. So we encourage people in the positions of power like you to go. We encourage everyone to think about that. And and it may be that um, that we can maybe be a springboard or a resource. Um, maybe you feel like you've been stigmatized by your religious community or, or elsewhere in your pursuit of good mental health and need some help finding a counselor. Like there are links, there are resources, yeah. which- And I often say, ask your friends. And that's a great way to get to talking about it. Yeah. Ask your friends who they know that are good counselors, because that's often the best referrals of people who know you and who know who might their style might mesh with you. Right. Um, so what else do we want to see from the church when it comes to mental health? Yeah. You know, we've already said we want pastors and other people in church settings to talk about it, to start normalizing it. Sure. Um, um, better connections. And, you know, maybe there are churches that can start building resources. Something that I practice that I learned from people who came before me and people who taught me. Um, when I first moved here to, to um, this part of North Carolina, before I even started my first day working for this particular church, I started calling mental health agencies in town. I love that so um, much. Trying to to learn a little bit about counselors and, and to see what's available so that I can learn like when a 70 something uh, parishioner comes to me and says, I really think I could use some help. Um, I'm, I'm having struggles and, and could really use some counseling that I have some sense of this might be a good fit. And these counselors take Medicare or Medicaid and these, um, these you know, this person deals with trauma or this person deals with family systems and child and family therapy so that those resources are there. You and I have talked about one of my very big dreams. Um, I wish so much that there was a way for churches to be able to pay for people to go and get good mental yeah. health care. And there are churches. That I know that there are really wonderful churches out there who have mm -hmm. trained professional counselors on, on their staff, staff. Um, yeah. who, who, who can provide those services. Um, you know, if there's anybody, I think we asked for a private jet at one point in one of our previous episodes, but um, maybe instead of a jet, if somebody wants to give us a couple of million dollars to start an endowment <laughs> so that we can provide, provide, you know, and that's, that's again, mobilizing those resources yeah. as much as it would be great to train up some new counselors and to start a whole new thing here at our church, there are some great resources that are out there. So yeah. maybe something we could see from churches, maybe a, a, a turnaround or a U-turn is is being that resource yeah. giver. Do, just doing your homework. And it doesn't have to be, you know, that's awesome that you're willing to do, to go to the point of even maybe looking at insurance reimbursement and things like that. But if that, even that that sounds too much, just getting to know some providers in the area where you are that would be helpful so that you can at least give people a starting point to right. call and yeah. to build some of those relationships with. Yeah. Um, so instead of just saying, go see a counselor, you know, if you are able to provide a name and a number and help someone over all of those barriers, because, you know, when you have anxiety, calling a stranger can be really difficult. Preach. But if your pastor has given you a name that they trust, that can be so powerful. And I'm always amazed with pastors how, some of them seem to understand the power of that position and sometimes misuse that and how 
but there's also those who just don't understand how much power is there and how a simple thing like handing someone a name and a phone number of a counselor or three counselors can, can really spur someone onto action. Right. So we'd love to see that. You know, I would also say if you're at a church that isn't talking about this, if you're not in that position of power, but you're a church member and they're not talking about that, ask your, ask your ministers why, ask them if that is something that can be brought up a little bit more. And if there's resistance to that, know that there are many religious communities out there where you won't find that resistance. And we want to be clear on that too, that we're, we recognize there are a lot of churches doing this really well, Yes, you know, and, and really well in ways that we don't even know about that we're not talking about here too. Yeah. Um, so, but, and so there are people out there willing to have this conversation. That, that would be another, I I don't know if, if a U-turn is exactly what we need, but when we go back to um, seeing scripture and, and allowing scripture to be the comfort for us that we need it to be. Um, so maybe there's a scripture that's unhelpful, like don't worry about tomorrow and think about birds instead, which is a unique paraphrase of, of that particular scripture <laughs> from Matthew and Luke. But, um, but, you know, maybe there's a way to reframe that scripture to remind you that God has promised to give you what you need yeah, and that God is with you always. So the, I, the Isaiah scripture that you refer to that says, fear not, mm-hmm. the next phrase is for I am with you always. Right. So when you're fearing, even if you're fearing, I am Both with you always. Consider, there's levels of application. So there's the underpinning of the foundation of God is with us and that foundational truth. And then there's, the anxiety on the on kind of some of the more surface levels um, that those things don't apply to quite as much, and those can live together. The yes. foundational security with lots of insecurities around that. Right. Um, yep. Yeah, and just I would love to see if there's something your church is doing well. Like most churches do a really good job around physical health and rallying around a sick church member and bringing food and maybe not so much during the pandemic, but still bringing food or really helping someone talk about ways that if you see someone in your church struggling, perhaps from the mental health perspective, can you take those same strengths that are already in place there and encourage the rallying around as well Yeah, to to really reach out to people? Um, It's if you don't know what to say, it's better to say, something awkwardly than to say nothing at all because uh, depression and anxiety can be so isolating. Right. And so just having someone even say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here can be so powerful and can be the words of Christ to someone. A a shout out to one of my favorite, gosh, if she were to listen to this podcast, I don't even know what I would do. Emily McDowell is a greeting card writer and she talks about (laughs) learning empathy. And so she has a book and a series of greeting cards and they're titled, there's no good card for this because sometimes you don't know what to say yeah. and there's, there's struggling. And that becomes paralyzing exactly. because you're so afraid of saying the wrong thing. Yes. But truly, if you have someone in your life who's struggling, just the ministry of your presence can be amazing or just saying you don't know what to say can right. also be amazing. Exactly. And you, you said like, we do want to hear from you. We want to hear what your churches are doing. And it may be that your church is already doing something well. Mm. And with a few added things, um, you know, your church already does caring for people who are grieving well, you know, churches, mm-hmm. we, we sometimes specialize in grief um, when we think about yeah. funerals and, and losing people and saying goodbye. There are churches that have grief groups. There are, are ways in which that is supported. Grief is something that happens not just when people die. So grief oh, is huge. We, we might have a whole other episode on, just on grief. Yes. But, you know, if your church is already rallying around people when they're grieving a death, how can your church use that example to provide care for someone who is uh, is going through some other sort of, of life crisis, is, is going through um, a divorce or a lost job or living through a pandemic <laughs> as we all are right now. But the same thing, like you said about, about meal ministries and, and the ways in which people rally around people that are sick, not just physically sick. Like there's, there's ways that we can do this. Like yeah. we are the beloved community. We are the family of God and we can 
be the good Samaritan. We can Mm -hmm. mobilize the resources in our community and we can care for our neighbor. Good talk, Jill. (laughs) I think I might have gotten on one of my soapboxes again. (laughs) Soapboxes are good. Yeah, we're going to have to find a category for your soapboxes because those deserve their own category. So this is just tip of the iceberg on this topic. Sure. You know, we're certainly going to revisit a lot of these concepts and get a little deeper into them as we get more topic related. Yeah. But um, but in the meantime, we really would love to hear your thoughts on this, suggestions you have, things you want us to talk about, things your church is doing well, um, you know, stories that you'd like to share. So please subscribe to our podcast, first of all, so you can continue to go on this journey with us and hear about the ways that we implement this feedback that you're giving us. Um, But yeah, please also find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Intersections Podcast. We're on Twitter, which is new for me, but I'm excited. Um, Twitter's at at Sacred Pod. so, So yeah, please visit us and let us know what you'd like to hear. We can't wait to hear from you. We really like you and we're really glad that you're on this journey with us. And um, and so we want to wish you well and we hope that that you have safe journeys and safe travels through all of your sacred intersections. Amen. Have a great week.